Hello and welcome to Adam vs. The Man. Today is Friday, Open Line Friday on June 26, 2020. Today, for our giveaway, we are giving away a membership in the Producers Club. You get to join the exclusive Telegram group that is normally only available to people who give us $10 a month on Patreon at patreon.com slash Adam vs. The Man, but also to people who are engaged in helping make this show awesome and a collaborative experience being involved with The Daily Show and in our Telegram group, in our Producers Club, helping us do the editorial development for the show. And it's been awesome to have this really just blossoming. You know, like half the links we have today are ones that people shared in uh, in the Producers Club Telegram group. So we're giving away a membership. Actually, we're giving away two because it's Friday. It's Friday. We do it. Extra special with comment Jim Jim Freedom in studio with us. Wait, wait what? Oh, See, he's on the other side. Now I have to point to my fridge and pretend that I'm I'm pointing at Jim, who's actually actually over there. But you know why that's happening <clears> now? Because you are logged in as CJ, and we're turning up our capabilities even more on Streamyard every day. This week is our trial week, by the way of streaming uh, the live show through Patreon, which is going to allow us when we go exclusively to that. If we like it, if it works, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about that after the show today. You know, maybe today after the show, we'll do we'll do a little, um, well, let's, I have this unusually large tobacco pipe here. You couldn't call it a B-O-N-G because as in head shops, YouTube has silly rules about the things you can describe things as, but we maybe let's let's end the show today with a patron only session. After this, we'll see what our censorship free space feels like, and then and, and we'll talk to the patrons today and say, you know, what do we want to do for a transition period before we go to live, being possibly exclusively behind this very very low paywall. It's like a pay, a pay hump more than a pay wall. We we might, but if we just ask you for a dollar each a month, then we're inviting you into our private broadcast space on Patreon, where we don't have to worry about any kind of censorship, and that would really be, oh man, taking the show to the next level. But today we have two contests. The first one is the guess the clip of the day. Now, this one uh, is, you know, and, and CJ, I sent you the link to play it at the end of the show. Don't put it on screen. You'll give it away. But I've, I've got this loaded up. I've got a few teaser clips in mind. Uh, and any good libertarian party CJ member. CJ can probably play it with no Yeah, I know. But I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But watch. He'll, he'll pull up the visual by accident and, and ruin the game. Yeah, the title will show. StreamYard will have changed their settings. Like, no. I've got the foolproof analog answer to this challenge. I am holding my laptop up to the microphone here. All right, that's it for the first clip. We're going to play a little bit more later on in the show. I didn't hear it. 
Yeah, he couldn't hear it, but I can play it without oh, them hearing it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have my I have my volume partly. Let's try this. Let you libertarian, that Christian atheist Hindu libertarian, that Rothbard libertarian, that Jefferson libertarian. You know all those libertarian. Did that come through? All right, CJ. Do you know what that one is? Do you recognize that? I want to know. I don't say. Don't say it. I couldn't tell you the year, but I I, I, I could tell you where, where it is. Uh, okay. But that's about it. Do you know the name? I, I Unfortunately, I don't think I do. All right, so... And I've actually uploaded... I, 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 clipped, I clipped the link on here for later, and I, I still don't know who it is, so... Okay. All right, so... Uh, if, if no one else guesses the name of the speaker by the end of the show, then that's how you win. If we have a tie, if or multiple people guess the name, then we'll go to uh, the the, the tiebreaker will be, can you say the occasion and the location and the date? And they're all, they're all essentially the same thing in this case. But um, the other contest today is to be caller number five. So today we're going to do uh, – Comment Jim Freedom is just going to monitor the, 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 the lines. We're going to get the link to the backstage in the comments everywhere, wherever you're watching. Periscope, Facebook, YouTube, Patreon, or if you're already backstage in StreamYard and you're one of the cool kids, then you don't need the link. We're going to get you the link out there, and we're going to have uh, Comment Jim Freedom be collarboard Jim Freedom today. As well as comment Jim Freedom, still still accepting written comments. Don't worry if you if you're camera shy, but we want to get people like you know just up. Look, look. No, I gotta go this way. Look how easy it is. There's there's Jim just on his laptop. Yeah, I'm doing this from my phone. I do the show uh, from the from my phone every day. It's the most reliable connection and the best camera and easy way to. Uh, and do the audio. Oh, wow. I just got a text message. See, this is like what an ironic, like I see text messages during the show. If I'm, if I'm into the show or into, I, I, I just ignore them. But as I was looking at my phone and well, we got a Patreon alert here too. Um, any comments, our li- comments live here. Kareem Bauman commented on your post. Uh, I, I guess they are. Are you seeing, you're seeing, can you pull up – I want to make sure, Jim, can you pull up the Patreon comments, especially for people who are watching live on Patreon? You might have to do that in a separate window, but that's, that's our priority comment stream now. We we decided, you know, if, if you want a super chat on YouTube, that's great, and we made a lot of money last week doing that. But we, we, we saw that. We were like, wait, Google Alphabet is taking – 30% of it? Mm, no, I, I don't think so. So, anyway, I just got this text message. Chris Gannon, apparently, and Chris Gannon uh, from Maryland was our uh, Northeast Regional Coordinator during the campaign. Apparently, Ron Paul just endorsed Josh Smith. Trying to get confirmation right now. They were talking about it in Mises. Ooh, I highly doubt that. Sounds like a misunderstanding, miscommunication. I would bet that they're going, how do we get Ron Paul to endorse Josh Smith? 
for national chair. And like that would, that would be huge. That would be really exciting. But, uh, if someone wants to confirm that by the end of the show, that would be pretty cool too. All right. So we're going to do a story and, and then, uh, see if we can take a call. So we're just going to alternate. So whoever's up first, and we have, we have a couple awesome guests today during the show. Uh, the legacy of victims of family law for Kokesh. Continuing with Victims of Family Law for Jorgensen, and we're going to be having uh, the founder of that, Chris Cole and uh, Cash Jackson. And Cash is, is, is a, an amazing dude all around, great uh, you know, resume of activism credentials, gubernatorial candidate in Illinois. Um, I, I'll let him you know, give, his, give his background here and his story, being a Navy veteran and uh, the abuse that he's experienced through family court is absolutely uh, just a heartbreaking story. Any other comments we have so far, Jim? We have a guest from the uh, first contest. Would you like to hear that? No, 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 don't. I'm going to give it away. Okay. We'll, call for, we'll call for entries. He gets the name, the date, and the location. All right. Well, then we'll we'll let some more guesses come in, and and we'll see uh, if anybody else wants to guess. We'll play another clip before we go to our guest today, and uh, and and then we'll see if anybody else has it. All right. So our first story today: Verizon pauses Facebook ads amid growing boycott. Nearly 100 brands have reportedly joined the effort to push Facebook to do more to combat abusive content on its platform. Verizon has joined. Now, I just. Combat abusive content. I mean, just. It wasn't long ago we were reading stories about censoring self harm posts on Facebook might do more harm than good, right? If, if there's a you know person in distress engaging in self harm and broadcasting it, that's a cry for help. And if you say, well, we we don't want to share self harm posts because you know uh, someone could see that as a copycat uh, and, and 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 do the same thing, and it's like, well, then they they might cry for help too. Like, oh, we we, we don't want our platform to be used as as a place where people can can cry for help. Because people might copy it. And, and what what are they doing? They're also crying for help. So, you know, I, I apply that same, you know, fundamental reasoning, my inclination to free speech when I look at stories like this. You know, and, and it's there's so many other layers of, of corporate in, um, motivations and, and political pandering and, and, and all of this. Um, but it, why why are they doing this, right? Obviously, it's to create an advertising-friendly platform more than a functional platform. But it's also a response. What what makes an advertising-friendly platform? Again, it's still determined by the consumers. Now, it's a little bit determined by how you manipulate people into selling things or, and, or manipulate them into buying things as consumers. But even with this, like, well, are, are you fostering abusive behavior by allowing it to be broadcast, or is your platform good enough that, hey, well, you can have a productive conversation, you can see it as a record, you can address it. And I, I use this, you know, kind of silly, you know, little example 
with, you know, what, what if you, your neighbor posts something that's racist, right? And, and then someone else, someone who, you know, they met at a party in middle school a decade ago goes, oh, that's racism. I'm going to flag that and report it to Facebook. And Facebook goes and takes it down. Well, now you don't know that your neighbor's racist. And again, you go, ah, yes, freedom is the answer. What's the question? And in this case, freedom of speech, freedom of communication, freedom to use these platforms to their fullest potential is really critical. And when you cut out, at this point in human history, with what we're capable of technologically and what the demand is for this kind of information system, as, as Facebook is the social media network, right? You'd say, well, Twitter and Instagram, well, Instagram is owned by Facebook, and Twitter is, you know, it, it rivals it in the area that it does as an element of the online conversation. But Facebook is the social media network. You don't organize events on Twitter. You know, I mean, yeah, I know you can, people do. I don't mean to demean that. Well, you have event pages and groups and communities and all these things are Facebook. Facebook is the social network. We have the technology, we have the ability to open source this, to create our own version. What stops that? Government, corporatism, intellectual property laws. And while humanity has the potential to have this amazing, rich communications network that that creates this beautiful hive mind for humanity that could be open source, that could be decentralized, that could be ad-free, because people would pay for that, because I mean, it would be almost insignificant. You could have it as a freemium service. There, there are dozens of different ways I could come up with, even just off the top of my head, yeah, probably a million different ways, that we could achieve something better than Facebook. What we have is the poison of government in this technology. And then we have stories like this. Verizon has joined a growing list of companies putting a pause on buying ads on Facebook amid a boycott meant to force the social networking giant to do more to remove abusive content from its platform. The boycott began earlier this month when six civil rights groups called on businesses to stop advertising on Facebook in July to push the social network to do more to combat hate speech and misinformation. Ice cream brand Ben & Jerry's outdoor product sellers Recreational Equipment Incorporated, better known as REI, and outdoor clothing brand The North Face have already announced their support for the boycott. A Verizon spokeswoman said the company is pausing its Facebook ads, but not boycotting the company. Our brand safety standards have not changed, a Verizon spokeswoman said in an email. We're pausing our advertising until Facebook can create an acceptable solution that makes us comfortable and is consistent with what we've done with YouTube and other partners. So I'm going to bring this back to blaming it on the consumer, society. And, you know, when it comes to social networks like this, hey, if the service is free, you are the product. And in this case, it's your attention that is the product. They are getting your attention. They are tricking you into giving Facebook control of your attention by saying, look, we're, giving, we're connecting you with friends. Your friends are going to have your attention, and it's true, they get most of it. But now they can take a chunk of your attention that you're giving them when you're logged on and say, ha-ha, we're going to sell this to advertisers now. And that's fine in and of itself when you recognize it for what it is. So that's one layer of the 
problem with the consumer here. But then there's this other level, and this story, when it gets to this, actually suggests that it's kind of a like there's been a leapfrog or a slingshot or a dom like a building like I don't maybe it's three chains or three three or four dominoes in the chain here the little chain reaction of escalation basically where social justice warriors the Karens of America great band name still right the Karens of America these six civil what, what, hold on I, I almost want to know what they are but I, I don't really care. Six civil rights groups. How much you want to bet they have a lot of the same sponsors and none of them are really truly grassroots. What grassroots organization, you know, really gets together in any kind of meaningful way and says, you know what we need to do to make the world a better place? Instead of addressing racism, let's censor it on Facebook. Right? So there's this, there, there's this whole other industry of false activism that's basically about exploiting outrage in public opinion for donations for busybody feel-good slacktivist the SJW type uh, of, of activism and 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 whether or not these groups are oh my well, it's, it's the NAAC it's, I, don't, I doubt that but you know regardless of who this is that's what this is. This is an exploitive form of activism where they get to threaten companies. Right? They get to go and threaten a company like Verizon and REI or Ben and Jerry's. Now they probably have people on their uh, teams, their corporate, whatever is making these decisions that, that is sympathetic to these, you know, SJW cause. They have fallen for this. Uh, I almost want a term for this. I mean, activism fraud? Is that, is that? I mean, that's a good term for it, but, you know, it's. I almost want something like slack. Like, slacktivism, you know, refers to being a keyboard warrior and, and, and thinking that that's how you're fighting justice. And there are plenty of ways that there are. Or, or slacktivism, like, I put a bumper sticker on my car and now I'm, I'm you know, feeling good about doing you know, contributing to the cause. You know, something where you take too much pride or you overestimate the value of your effect and and you know and, and your your own efforts are, are relatively insignificant and so that would be slacktivism but this is something else this is like a kind of activism fraud where you're taking advantage of people's sympathies uh, their their emotions their anger their outrage whatever the case may be to get donations to create an organization where people get paid to, to feel important. And there, there's, it, I've been in a lot of these, you know, and I don't mean like active in, but what, especially with Iraq veterans against the war. I mean, this is more on the left. There's, there's, there's plenty of versions of this on the right, too. This tends to be a phenomenon of leftist politics, tending to be more emotionally driven uh, at, at an exploitive level, where it's really easy to, to play on that social justice warrior mentality and guilt trip people into, well, you at least better sign my petition and give us $10 a month, you know, you know that kind of thing. And with, with what they get to do then is threaten corporations who are selling products to the general public and say, 
look, we can manipulate the general public to get angry enough looking at you that you will lose business. And so there's, there's another level of fraud here where these organizations attempt to commit a fraud against the general public saying, look, because Verizon is advertising. Think about this. In order for this to happen, someone had to be ready to say, you should boycott Verizon because they're advertising on Facebook. And you go, what? Surprise, surprise. Like, one soulless mega corporation and another are doing business? Like, wow. If I, and I do business with both of them. As someone who hears this message and understands better than 99% of the population the evils of both Verizon and Facebook, I still do business with both of them. And, and I'm not saying, oh, and therefore you should too, because it would be better if everybody, you know, had an alternative. And that, that we should be looking for that. Okay, by the way, um, the, the, here, here it is. It was the, NAA, the NAACP is one of them. The Anti-Defamation League, the NAACP, Sleeping Giants, Colors of Change, Free Press, and Common Sense say that boycotting advertising on Facebook will pr put pressure on the company to use its $70 billion in annual advertising revenue to support people who are targets of racism and hate and to increase safety for private groups on the site. Was there ever a problem with private groups being dangerous for people? That's the one place, like, you create a private group, you kick anybody out, you delete any posts if it's your private group. Like, how is... I get it, yeah. You can still go in there and threaten people like you could in, in any other venue for that conversation. Uh, so, you know, and, and yeah, they want censorship. The groups are asking Facebook to make several changes, including creating a separate moderation pipeline for hate speech, allowing certain people who have been targeted with harassment or hate to talk to a live person at Facebook and telling advertisers how often their content was shown next to posts that Facebook removed for misinformation or hate speech. So we have to be smarter as consumers. Now, I, it's funny. I sit here going, well, I'm doing business with both. I'm, I'm on Facebook and I'm on and I'm, my, my phone services with Verizon. Well, I don't know what to tell you. When I see us talking about this, as opposed to how do we address the hate, you know, I mean, I just watched a video earlier today with Reverend Al Sharpton speaking in New York. And he said that when the story becomes about the response to the murder, as opposed to the murder itself, right? When you make this story no longer about George Floyd and reforming the Minneapolis Police Department or, or defunding it entirely, instead you make it about the protests and the riots, the reaction to the murder, what you're doing is excusing the murder. And I wholeheartedly support Sharpton calling attention on that point and saying, yes, don't mistake the story here. Don't you want to complain about looting? We're complaining about murder. 
shut the frick up. Really, you're, you know, you're missing the point. And when people call attention to this, and I don't want to say, like, I don't want to be playing this game. Well, you're not fighting the greatest injustice, so you're not, your cause is unworthy of support. You need to fight the biggest injustice that I'm fighting to. Look at government. Look at the greater evil. But this, this whole thing about the manipulation of Facebook based on an emotional knee-jerk desire for censorship rather than addressing real issues, that's a problem. And what I see here is, and, and in a lot of ways in American society, and a deliberate distraction with superficial issues that will perpetually prevent us from getting to the core of more important issues, whether it's corporatism and intellectual property, racism, or government itself, looking at the reaction instead of the heart of the problem and allowing yourself to be manipulated by this kind of activism fraud is holding us back from our potential and real progress with these issues. You know, I was going to connect it to another thing that uh, that we're looking at today in coronavirus resources. Like, all this money, you go ahead to fight coronavirus. Okay. That's, and, and I'm, I'm not going to here, – here's, here's, like, here's, like here's my final argument from this prioritization perspective. Okay, yeah, coronavirus is a problem. You want this money to go to the vaccine. You want the government to do something about it. That's great. How many people are dying from coronavirus, right? Like in most of the United States, what's the, what's the top estimate? Like it could get up to 200,000. Like, okay, like so, so, so we grant you that. 200,000. You just put this in perspective. Look at the resources being misallocated to this or over allocated to this problem. If you don't allocate resources appropriately, it means more people will die. You're worried about a splinter in your finger while you're bleeding out from uh, your your leg being chopped off. I can't sit here and just say, oh, yeah, that's okay. And and with the coronavirus, yeah, it, it's hard to argue with it when you say well, they've got all these false statistics that, you know, you, you don't want to argue with those. But, again, just if, if, if people could be rational, if people were less prone to that emotional manipulation through propaganda, they wouldn't even attempt these fear campaigns to get us to misdirect resources to where it profits the people behind the racket. Anyway, Jim, do we have a, a caller queued up here? Uh, we don't have any callers queued up as of yet. We have guests for first thing and some other random comment. Nobody else took a guess on the mm, okay. voice, only the one. Nobody wants to call in from the from the audience today? We're taking callers. CJ. CJ. Aaron. Uh, so yeah, right. Did uh, I say I endorsed Biden again? <laughs> <laughs> so uh no sir. Uh we haven't thrown the link out. So when on your approval oh, okay. we throw the link out. Yeah, do it. Yeah, no, I am sorry. I meant, I I meant to say uh, before I got into that story. Go ahead. Yeah, put it out there. And uh, let's get someone queued up for a call, or I'll, I'll get into the next right. story. Do you want to explain it one more time for those that are just now Yeah. So if anybody's just joining us now, we're going to put the link to StreamYard, which is how I connect with the show and Jim and CJ connect with the show. 
And if you click on that, you get in line to be our ne- our next caller. That's it. And um, you know, CJ can. T- I mean, are you going to talk to people backstage? And are, are we screening uh, people or anything? There's a private chat. We'll be able to see it <coughs> in the backstage, and we'll be able to chat with them backstage. Okay, cool. So yeah, so yeah. anybody who wants to join the show today, you click on the link, you go backstage, and you type in a message in StreamYard and say. CJ, I'm ready to join the show. I would like to talk to Adam about this. And that's it. And then uh, when we call for callers next, we'll bring someone on. So we'll do one more story. Everybody good? Yeah, it, it doesn't work on Periscope. So this is Facebook and YouTube only. Yeah, it just gave me the, the notification saying that comments don't work on Periscope for uh, websites like this. All right, so if you're on Periscope, switch on over to one of our other streams. Get the link, join us in StreamYard if you want to call into the show today. From AP News, the Associated Press, Minneapolis Council puts plan to abolish police in motion. The Minneapolis City Council votes Friday on a proposal to change the city charter to allow elimination of the city's police department, a radical move supported by a majority of the council after George Floyd's death but far from assured. The vote is one step in a process that faces significant bureaucratic obstacles to make the November ballot, where the city's voters would have the final say. And it comes amid a spate of recent shootings in Minnesota's largest city that have heightened many citizens' concerns about talk of dismantling the department. Now, and you, you think about this, if you look, look at all the history of dirty policing in America. If you haven't seen the movie Serpico, go watch Serpico. If, if you don't want to watch the movie, just read up read up on, on the story of, of Frank Serpico, NYPD uh, d- detective. You look at all of the drug rackets, all of the false arrests, all, every, all of the careless murders like George Floyd. And if you're a cop, if you're think just put yourself in their shoes for a second. Oh crap, we went too far with the George Floyd thing. People are so upset. They might defund us. They might abolish this whole department. Cuz they're afraid cuz cuz it looks like the cops killed someone. Oh, well, cuz cuz we did, I guess. You know, all right. Well, how do how do we turn this around? How do we how do we make them Remember that they need us. Remember, like, that line from the uh, V for Vendetta, right? Um, Chancellor Adam Sutler. Make them remember why they need us. Well, this is a really easy one. Go out and make, make the people seem more violent than the police, right? You think, you think cops who have murdered, who would murder... Oh, let's let's put it like this. Do you think that cops who would murder innocent people for fun wouldn't murder innocent people to keep their jobs where they're allowed to murder innocent people for fun? Yeah. No shite. Really. That's it. You know, and, and you go, oh, they're... A spate of recent shootings in Minnesota's largest city that have heightened many citizens' concerns 
about talk of dismantling the department. Oh, well, it worked. And it wouldn't work if people had a libertarian, sensible perspective on this and could understand that even their excuses for more police don't justify them. It's not like those shootings were stopped. It's not like there was a spate of shootings that police intervened in. The shootings happened anyway. And why? Why do those shootings happen? Right? What are the causes of violence just in in human beings in general? Anger, desperation, need. Mostly need, mostly depravity. It comes from from some unmet need of theirs, and we're capable of meeting people's needs many times over, certainly in America, if not the world. We're capable of food, water, clothing, shelter, energy, entertainment, information, data, for everybody on this planet several times over. No one has to live in poverty anymore. Nobody has to live in this kind of desperation that leads to this kind of conflict. Why do we have this kind of conflict? Why do we have this need in the first place? Because government, and people complain about libertarians and, you know, being too too oriented on, on economics and money. Well, yeah, because if you do take away our ability to take care of each other, this is what happens. How much of this violence is based on the war on drugs made possible by gun control? How much of it is at, uh, a product of, of the welfare state and economic controls? And right now we're seeing it come to the surface because the economic suppression is at a new level with the forced unemployment crisis that we're in. So now, am I saying that the cops, you know, infiltrated the protest groups and, and you know, made these shootings happen? Well, yeah, it's possible. Unlikely, because they didn't really need to. They could have just let it happen on purpose. You know, they could have just stayed out of the way of uh, and, 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 and poked it into happening. I don't know. Made it happen very subtly. Doesn't matter, though. Because when it's, make them remember why they need us, it's not even the local cops on the beat. It's the politicians who have created this whole situation very deliberately. And if anything, until like I'm, I'm really glad that this conversation is happening right now. That you know, not only are we talking about coronavirus, hey, let's talk about police brutality too. And by talking about coronavirus, I mean, of course, all the ways the government is using it as an excuse to screw everybody over. But okay, we'll talk about how cops are doing the same thing, how the police state is bad, and calling attention to this and going, hey, let's talk about ways that. You know, we could get along better without police, with community-based restorative justice, with private security, with community-based policing, with, with police accountable only to their cities, with localization of control, all of these things. Great. Absolutely. You know, where this is going, I don't know. More people are considering a world without government policing. And that's, that's a huge step in the right direction. That moves the ball forward. But in terms of where we are right now, how strong the establishment is, their ability to say, make them remember why they need us, is still overwhelming. 
And in this episode, what's the impact? A reaffirmation of the fact that we need police in America. We really need, I mean, because look, and, and for years now, the establishment is going to get to say, remember that time we considered getting rid of the police? Remember after George Floyd and police in our city kind of stepped back, you know, here in Minneapolis, things got worse. Look at all the shootings. And then you go, well, Chicago, New York, same thing. And then you step back and go, wait, where, where are these, where are these violent areas? And, oh, they're in cities where there's a lot of police already, where the drug war, a product of government policy is rampant. Now, we are in a time of significant reform where in order to distract from the coronavirus ripoff, the establishment has to at least go, all right, well, we'll give you some police reforms. If, you're, if you'll stay distracted, if you'll make enough noise, hey, guys, like here's the carrot, right? You know, while we're ripping you off with coronavirus and radically reforming society, so that the rich get richer faster than ever before while the poor get poorer. You know, hey, here's the carrot. If you guys make enough noise, we'll, we'll give you some police reform. Oh, okay, we'll make noise about that, and we'll ignore the corona economic ripoff. And and we're in this process now. I mean, how much can we take in police reform in order for them to get that distraction effect? You know, I say, wait, let's take as much as we can. It's still a very exciting opportunity. And it's the product of this it, you know, pressure that's been building up for police reform over the years. All these demands for protection against qualified immunity or ending of qualified immunity police, demilitarization. These are overdue reforms that the establishment has been kind of holding on. All right, well, you know, we'll give these out when we, we absolutely have to. There's obviously more to this. If there is enough noise made, we might get the ball rolling on attention to police reform that really licks the whole problem that eventually solves the economic problem as well. Because remember, if these police weren't enforcers of tax law, the whole racket falls apart. I know most police don't do that. but IRS agents only have to conduct a few audits to get most people to comply. And not complying and going along with this is the most important thing. I'm very excited by the possibility of a city like Minneapolis that is now the epicenter of this issue for the United States right now of police reform and police brutality and racism. I'm very excited by the possibility that they're going to take a major step in reforming their police force. Reality is a lot more incremental. And we can still celebrate the small victories like this. We'll be following up on this story. All right, do we have a caller queued up, Mr. Freedom? What? No? Yeah, we've been pumping that thing out. Nobody in, the, nobody in our live audience wants to join feel, us on stage here? I feel like I should mention this. Uh, this might be a problem. I brought this up when we were first talking about this idea. 
I want to remind everyone, if you're camera shy and that's what's keeping you from clicking the link and coming on, you can always come into the thing disabling your video feed so it'll legit be just the audio yeah. call. Audio so if you're camera shy and you don't, or you're in some place that you can't show your surroundings here at work or whatever, you can just do an audio call and call in and say hi to like a radio um, We have Chris Cole in the backstage if you'd like to We'll wait we'll wait until the hour, but as soon as as soon as Cash is in there too, uh let me know. But uh, let's do uh, let's just do a couple more stories, see if uh you know people want to get queued up. Join us. I mean if we're backstage now with uh, are you are you guys signed in as two different accounts or No, we're in the same account. Uh so <laughs> real quick on, on Facebook the link is having an issue there for whatever reason it's not letting it send to the comments. I just checked. So if you're watching on Facebook, refresh, it's now added to the description, as well as YouTube, it's in the description as well. For some reason, it's saying it's spam, So, and it's your channel, you're putting it in the link, and it's calling it spam, so I have no idea why. My page, too, my Facebook page with the, the stream, so That's now funny. the link is on oh, All right. see if we can get some callers. Is anybody... After all the nice things I said about Facebook, is it, is anybody still there? You know, and, oh, man, I, I, I don't know, man. I have to reiterate this. It, it's been a while, I guess, and, and make sure I'm, like, in touch with what is what is my Facebook policy, you know, because I, I like – I broadcast there um, live, and, and we, you know, I, I guess we're not doing clips there anymore because we're doing YouTube and, and Steam and DTube for clips now uh, and Patreon, of course. Uh, we got some fun, but hey, we have some behind-the-scenes drone footage for patrons only of me working with my shirt off, moving rocks around in the dirt here yesterday. I wasn't even planning on this. Jim just came up and caught me. It's a good thing I wasn't taking a crap in the trees behind the RV when you were recording that, which has happened since. I think I need to build an outhouse, another outhouse. It didn't happen with the drone. Don't give them the wrong impression. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so today, uh, yeah, no, would we get more or less viewers if we said we have drone footage of Adam taking a shit in the woods uh, without, without him knowing it and then being surprised by the drone? Yeah. Um, but no, so today, well, yesterday we got this, this new location all set up. Uh, for, for No Force One, for the No Force One Studios. The bus is now sort of in a secluded little area just on the other side of the upper level of our property, uh, kind of tucked into a little grove of trees. And uh, we've got a nice little fire circle outside. It's a, it's a very cool area. And um, today I think we're going to organize our junk piles and tidy that up. And while we're over there, I mean, if, if you guys like, if you guys are feel, I kind of want to build another outhouse. Like, I think we could build a lighter version of that one. I mean, I like the general design. We call it our voting booth. Did you think that on a libertarian show we'd be talking about shit in plastic buckets? Oh, did I just use the S word? I'm sorry, YouTube. Please don't censor me. We got a caller lined up. Caller lined up. All right, let's do it then. Dun, dun, dun. Break out chain mail. Break out Thank you for joining us today. I'm trying to make this thing work, but uh, I'm not sure if my signal handles it. Your signal's rough, but we got you now. You can talk. You got John Audio. Damn it. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I got less than one bar out here in the uh, landlock. Uh oh, yeah, this is pushing it, man. Where, where, where did he say? Did you hear where? Where did you say? You yeah, were? I can just watch on YouTube right now. <laughs> Isn't that funny? He can call in, he can watch on YouTube and stream live, but can't call in. Yeah, participate in it. A lot of course, yeah, this is like. Well, Draco, thank you for kicking off our contest. We have caller number one. Check. Yeah. See if we can get up to five today. Uh, and if you want to call back uh, later on in the show, of course, to be number five, we'll take repeats. But uh, let's see. That was I, that was easy, clicking on the link now that we got it out there properly. Draco, uh, you you want to say anything before before signing off? No? I mean, maybe we don't have to do that, Cash. All right, CJ. Cut, Draco. All right, thank you so much for the call, brother. Uh, do we have anybody else queued up, or should I do one more story yeah, before? All right, let's, let's do a couple quick ones then before we get to the top of the hour. From Reuters, Insight, car crashes deadlier as drivers speed during lockdown. Just one more unintended consequence, right? Coronavirus lockdowns led to huge reductions in traffic and fewer car crashes this spring. But as drivers sped up on quieter roads, the collisions became deadlier in several cities. In New York, the ratio of fatal crashes to all collisions rose 167% in April from a year ago. The increase was 292% in Chicago and 65% in Boston. Across the ocean in Madrid, Spain, the rate of fatal collisions was 4 170% higher. As tra even as traffic plummeted across the United States, roads became more lethal, with a 37% increase in fatality rates per miles driven in April compared to the same month last year, according to the National Safety Council. Last month, the group said in a statement that the lockdowns and reduced road congestion had created an apparent open season on reckless driving in Britain. Police documented instances of people driving at what they described as exceptionally high speeds of over 130 miles an hour. In Ohio, researchers found that while average speeds were only up slightly from March 28 to April 19 in Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Dayton, the amount of extreme speeding increased dramatically. So, uh, according to Harvey Miller, professor of geography and director of the Center for Urban and Regional Analysis at the Ohio State University, the level of extreme speeding is really shocking. What we're seeing here, the fact that there's less traffic and more speeding, I think that's evidence that traffic is a great controller of speed. Now, that's true, right? Traffic can, you know, slows you down. Like I, would, I wouldn't dispute that. But is that like a reason to have more traffic? No, of course not. Uh, but what we have here is a, is a problem that is, I mean, so I, I'm not going to give you Walter. If you, if, you, hey, if you want it, Walter Block wrote a great book, 500 pages long, to answer the question, but who will build the roads without government? And I, I got to say, the first 60 pages that I read of that book were great. That was enough for me. So. I think a part of this, too, is the stress. 
you know, a lot of people who are speeding, you know, the, the crashes, they can't say it's all like extreme speeders who are just like young dude daredevils trying to, you know, see how fast their cars will go. Uh, a lot of these are people rushing to a hospital, stress driving, and it sucks. One more unintended consequence worth noting here. From ZeroHedge.com, the biggest disconnect between prices and profits in stock market history? From Tyler Durden, of course. Everyone is talking about the massive disparity between stock prices and fundamentals right now. To paraphrase Jeremy Grantham, we now find ourselves in the top 1% of stock market valuations and the bottom 1% of economic outcomes based on the annualized rate of decline in second quarter GDP. A popular way to demonstrate this gap is seen in the chart below, which plots total equity values along with total corporate profits. At first glance, CJ, if you would scroll down, please. It appears this is the biggest disconnect between prices and profits in at least 30 years. However, if we turn this into a price-to-earnings ratio, it becomes clear that the stock market bubble of 20 years ago actually takes the cake. So, CJ, if you would scroll down to the next graph, you'll see this. But what a simple price-to-earnings ratio doesn't account for is the fact that the dot-com bubble appears so severe in the chart above, largely because profit margins were relatively depressed at the time. Furthermore, profit margins in recent years became extremely inflated. This serves to make stock prices over the past few years look less expensive than they otherwise would. So there are a lot of implications for this, what this means historically right now. But what I want to point out for a slightly bigger context that Zero Edge is giving you for, you know, their immediate audience of econ geeks is that this is a stock market that, you know, we, we are the, the, the casino effect. The stock market is a casino. Well, it's actually a way of creating overvaluation of assets based on their earnings in order to create that possibility of the casino effect and to profit everybody who's able to get in on it, right? So they don't mind saying, look, if we corporatize this company, we make it a we have a, we have a uh, you know an, uh, an IPO, an initial public offering where the stock is let out. And, and the we, I, the tradition of an IPO is that the value of a company goes way up. It creates a, a valuation of it. And a big part of how, you know, how do you look at this? When a company is first offered to the public, how does the general market properly assess the value of that company? And they go, okay, well, how much does it have in assets? How much does it have in revenue? How much does it have in revenue potential? And how much growth potential does it have? Like all of these kinds of bigger factors about the health of the company over the future time of it determine how much it's worth now. And so they distort that and blow that up. And these assets of these corporations, their stock itself relative to their earning potential is one way of tracking how overvalued they are relative to their real value as companies. And so seeing that disconnect take off now is one measure of what we've brought you in former stories like J.P. Uh, Morgan, uh, 
CEO Jamie Dimon saying that, yes, it's the Fed's liquidity that is propping up the stock market right now when the stock market should be plummeting, right? A natural course of economic correction in a time of crisis like we're experiencing with the forced unemployment crisis right now would not be for the comfort for, for the economy to keep putting resources into propping up these companies. It would be for small investors to say, you know what, mm, I don't want to be invested in these companies right now. I'm going to cash out so that I can take care of my family. That not happening is making the problem worse over time. It's compounding this. So back to ZeroEdge.com, the story concludes, the last time we saw prices and earnings disconnect in such an extreme way famously led to a lost decade for the stock market from 2000 to 2010. Is it unreasonable to think that the current extreme in valuations could lead to another lost decade, especially if profit margins are only beginning to revert to the historical mean. So a lost decade, you know, could be, I don't think it would be a lost decade at this point. It would be a new normal. It would be a, it would have to be connected to some significant economic reforms. And I, I mean, people, you know, choosing to reallocate their resources instead of playing this game and, and playing into the stock market and, and realizing this, yeah, and this is, a, you know, a lot of it, too, is they're lulling people into lazy investing through mutual funds, through all these other mechanisms of pooling your resources and 401ks and IRAs. And it's like, oh, no, but you're in the stock market. You're good. You're, you're going to go up because you're invested. The stock market always goes up. No. If, if you're going, if you have money to invest, you have to be way more conscientious than this. Or you're feeding into an exploitive system and you're leaving yourself vulnerable because it's not a lost decade. It's going to be a lost racket. If we see a major correction in the stock market, if this this propping up of it that we're experiencing right now fails, the collapse in the modern era of the Internet and the awareness that we have today and in the age of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and so many other things that we can do without this racket, it's not coming back the way it is. I, I think the, the stock market as a casino, as a racket, as, a, as an exploitation tool that feeds into corporatism and, and the Federal Reserve System, central banking, and the government uh, racket as a whole, yeah, its days are numbered. All right. We are at the top of the hour now. We go to – we have both of our guests queued up. Oh, still waiting for cash. All right. Any, any word from – from Chris about cash? I know they would be in uh, direct contact. Um, I don't know. I bring Chris up now. Can you ask him in the comments? Uh, the guy, that, the only person that has guessed uh, is, is being impaired. Sort of impatient. He's like, I won the contest. He knows he has the right answer, and nobody else has guessed it. I was like, All right, all right. I said we probably another cool. We'll still. I want to give somebody else. I want to give someone else a chance. So they're both in now. Now, if okay, hold on. So we're gonna play this clip, and then we'll we'll go to our guest. And and with due respect for the person who knows this and has the right guess, and if you if you recognize what it is, yes, it's pretty easy to fill in the details. But if we have a tie here, we're either going to have a tiebreaker 
or we're just going to give away extra memberships to the producers club, okay? So if you're staying engaged, you're listening to the show, you had the first right guest, guess if you don't worry, you will be taken care of today. But I want to get more people in on this, and, and this is a clip that, like, I, I want people to know. You know, it's not just, hey, here's the fun one, maybe you might know or should or what, like, this is, this is, everybody in the audience should know this. We're going to play the whole clip at the end of the show, of course. That LGBTQ libertarian, no sex libertarian, that MLK Jr. Malcolm X libertarian, that revolutionary, utter home run libertarian. All right, that was, that's it. It's, it's pretty short. I don't know if I can do uh, much more without giving it away completely. So what was that, Jim? Okay. Okay, we got both of our guests. All right, let's bring up Cash Jackson and Chris Cole of Victims of Family Law for Joe Jorgensen. And, guys, it is an honor to have you with us today. And I, I want to make sure that, that we have time to, for you guys to tell your stories and talk about why that's leading you to support Joe Jorgensen right now and the importance of this. But if I just may first say uh knowing both of your personal stories, how you have both been victims of family law and been able to turn it into a positive as you are now is so beautiful. And to, to have been able to work with Chris in my campaign, to know that you're able to continue that work with Joe Jorgensen is really amazing. And for people who are tuning in who weren't involved with, with any of the campaigns in the Libertarian Party for President in the primary, the reason this is so important is that this is one of those swept under the rug, underreported, hugely pervasive, aggravating issues that America is is embarrassed and afraid to face up to. And and what you guys are doing with this represents such a critical service to humanity, emotion, improving the state of America emotion. I know this is focused on America, but really – this is a racket that governments all over the world are engaged in, ruining people's lives under the guise of family law. And it's uh, victims of divorce court, family separation, people who are abused by uh, child support payments, people who have their children kidnapped by CPS because their neighbor saw them smoking pot. Uh, in my case, I'm a child of, of, of a I shouldn't say just I'm a child of divorce. I, I really should specify I'm a child of a nasty, drawn-out divorce in which my parents both weaponized government against each other, and made and and, and it was a, a horrific experience that that is you know still with me in in many ways. So, gentlemen, I you know uh, if you would start first, you know, Chris. Uh, as the founder of Victims of Family Law, if you just want to give a quick introduction, and, and then uh, and then we'll go to Cash and you know Cash for our audience. I think I, we want to hear the the background with your story and your military experience and how that led you to becoming a, a victim of family law and everything you've done with it. So Chris, if you want to first you know quickly how you got into to your situation and how that motivated you to get involved. Well, I mean basically you know I'm a victim of family law, plain and simple. Um, you know, like you said, we, there's a shame game in this, and we, we, we've somehow accepted that this is okay or this is right because, um, you know, court orders and things dictate that these professionals like judges and, 
CPS workers and child support agents uh, of the state are somehow the custodians of our children. Um, and I didn't want to spend too much time chatting, as you see I'm traveling, but I wanted to be engaged and involved in the conversation. But I'd love for Cash to just sort of uh, have this time to sort of uh, tell you his story and, and what we're doing looking forward, especially with all the things going on in this world today um, where we see the injustices and it seems that people are ready to speak out. There's a new energy uh, in this country and hopefully we can resolve a lot of these things peacefully. But I think that with, with everything that's sort of taking place that Cash and I both as well have decided to sort of team up um, and, and work together in, in getting people to speak out. And uh, I'm going to let Cash take it from here. Thank you. Go ahead, please. So, yeah, Adam, uh, let me just say, first of all, thanks for having me on. And uh, and I appreciate all the activism that I've witnessed you do personally. Your, your kind of boots-on-the-ground activism and uh, your willingness to flaunt um, your freedom boldly in the face of authoritarian uh, policies in this country. And you being a veteran yourself, uh, you and I can relate to a great degree on on – what we perceived our military service was going to be utilized for and what we were doing. And then as we aged and we grew uh, in experience and wisdom and understanding about, about our nation and what we're doing, uh, it probably left uh, a really bad taste in your mouth as it did my own and that I felt like I was used. Um, and, and, I, and I didn't serve the purpose of supporting and defending the Constitution against all enemies foreign and domestic. And so, you know, I, I want to take – you know, this from a libertarian perspective, um, I'm, I'm right-leaning libertarian, if you will, uh, if somebody wanted to try and peg me. And I kind of have conservative personal beliefs, but I also believe that, of course, people should be able to live however they want to as long as they don't hurt uh, other people or their property. And uh, so I take that non-aggression principle, uh, you know, to that degree. And what I experienced in the family courts, at 18, I had 18 years of military service then at the time, I had a top-secret clearance had been a reserve sheriff's deputy uh, in the very county that I was going through this divorce and custody proceeding in. And I was treated like a criminal. Uh, and seeing what was unfolding in my own case, I'm like, holy cow, if they'll do this to me, I'm standing in court in uniform. I'm still active duty military at the time. And I said, if they'll treat me this way, you know, what are they doing to the average citizen who maybe wouldn't have that type of protection? And uh, we know that, that veterans are kind of a coveted, you know, victim community in this nation. And, uh, you know, I, I would say from my sacrifices and the things that I did, maybe rightfully so, because a lot of us are just, you know, kind of, again, misled into that service there, um, thinking we're going to be doing one thing, when in reality they're using us for something else. And so um, I think a lot of people are very well-intentioned about their military service. And the more I began to speak out on this issue and saying, look, we need reform here, here, here. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is broken. What I began to suffer were reprisals at the hand of my judge, Judge Joseph Salvi. And men like him are exactly why this nation was founded. If this were 1776, I would be dragging that man out of the courtroom myself and tarring him and feathering him in the courthouse square. Uh, but this isn't 1776, and so we have to approach this battle from a different perspective, and I believe still in the approach of using as much 
uh, civil and public pressure as we can to influence and change legislation. We see that right now with qualified immunity and other things. But what our, the Libertarian Party uh, fails to realize, what the Republicans and Democrats fail to realize is that, number one, and I just mean on a macro level here, uh, that I believe this is the most important issue in this nation. And why do I believe that? Well, all of the issues that we spend time debating around, whether that's drug use and uh, the failed war on drugs, uh, whether that's violent crime and uh, crime, especially as it pertains to guns being used, uh, that's a hot button issue here. Um, uh, abortions, that's a hot button issue. All of these large social issues that our nation spends debating where Republicans and Democrats go back and forth on it, we know as libertarians, they're both very authoritarian in their policies. They just, they just push a different, um, philosophical or political agenda. Whereas us as libertarians, we go, look, just get government out of it altogether. And so, you know, this is a real solution. There's three specific pieces of domestic policy uh, that we need to discuss. Uh, I believe the the most important one is that of family law. And there's a reason why I believe that that's the most important, not, not just because of my experiences. Um, secondly, the war on drugs, the failed war on drugs. And then third, the welfare state. These three major areas of, of domestic policy, it is that is what is driving and what has created the fatherless epidemic in this nation of over 20 million. I mean, it's 20 million is a conservative number, but over 20 million American children are growing up absent their, their biological fathers in this country. And our legislators are not pausing to ask themselves why. We hear, we've heard Obama. We've heard um, uh, lots of prominent just uh, voices in individuals. Uh, Candace Owens is, is a big conservative voice. And um, so all of these different voices and platforms, even amongst Democrats, they're talking about this fatherless epidemic. Uh, we do hear about the uh, failed war on drugs uh, from Democrats predominantly. We do hear about uh, the welfare state and how that incentivizes single parenthood. But very rarely are we discussing the $50 billion a year industry of family law judges separating good parents from their children. There is a standard that is required nationally where the burden of proof is on the state for a finding of unfitness, okay? But what they're not doing is they're not doing these findings of unfitness before and while they, they sever contact. My, my own case is a, is a prime example, and I use my own case a great deal because I've experienced a wide array of just how far-reaching and what, they, what the state can do with their power. And they use their power and control to silence you. In uh, whenever I ran for governor in Illinois in 2018, I did so because I knew that they would attack me. They they would find whatever they could to dig up, and they would attack me on those matters. And what that happened to be was my case in family law, right there in the Lake County Court, uh, which neighbors Cook County, uh, which is where Chicago's at. And so I knew that they would go there and that they would attack me, and they did. And then that would open up the doorway. Uh, for me to discuss these issues, uh, and and it did that, and and it resounded with a lot of people, um, and many people that gravitated towards my campaign came from the Democratic and Republican Party because they said, hey, look, nobody's talking about this very important issue that's really hurting me and my family, and they and they gravitated towards me because I was speaking about it. We saw Larry Sharp do something similar there in New York. Uh, uh, I spent you know an hour or two talking to Larry Sharp back in 2018 educating him about these issues 
and he picked it up very rapidly. He was like, yeah, he connected the dots really fast. And so he was able to articulate uh, reforms that were needed as well. And so that's what men like uh, Chris and I are doing is we're taking this fight to their doorstep. Uh, for too long, what we've done is we've negotiated with the respective state bar associations. We have negotiated with domestic violence groups. Uh, we have uh, negotiated with feminist organizations, all of which um, uh, are, are profiting tremendous amounts of revenue uh, through a variety of different ways. But predominantly, these bar associations, the attorneys involved who are charging $300, $400, $500 an hour, while a lot of the times they're, the legal work that they're accomplishing is something that, that many high school or, or college-age people could do if they were just kind of shown, you know, these are the different forms, these are the processes, these are the procedures for filing and, and, and responding. And uh, I don't believe that you need, uh, for one second, a law degree in these matters. To me, it's, it's pretty common sense. Look, uh, we preach equality. We, we've sought for equality for a long time here where we've uh, fought for um, you know, the right of, uh, of blacks in this nation, African-Americans in, in this country. We fought for, um, for women to have the same rights uh, as men. We fought for uh, Native Americans to have the same rights as whites uh, in this nation. But yet uh, we're still lagging severely behind for the last 40 years, 40 years plus. Men are not treated equally in the eyes of the court. And there is no treatment of equality here. It's anything but. Um, 85% of all divorces are filed by women. 85% of all child support is paid by men. They go hand in hand, okay? And, and so that means that the overwhelming majority of men in this nation who are not custodial or don't have any sort of equal custody arrangement with their kids, they're paying into child support. Well, that sounds very noble, right? Ch child support sounds noble. Support your child takes money to support a child. That's common sense. But what a lot of people don't take into consideration is the courts are trying to provide the same lifestyle that the child had prior to the dissolution of the relationship. Basic mathematics would help solve this problem and address it. Let's say if you had a, um, a two-income household, the mom and the dad were both working, as is common in this country. Mom and dad are both working. The major expense that they share is the household, the rent or the mortgage and the utilities. That's the single largest expense that we face as American families. And the average, we know this, the average family could not afford to rent two homes or two apartments of the same size. And in my case, it would be a three bedroom, two bath because I have a 14 year old son and a 12 year old daughter. So they would need their own respective rooms. If not, well, then that's another reason to deny me any sort of uh, equal custody arrangement. And so we're pushing for the reforms. The reforms that we believe that are needed are a rebuttable presumption of 50-50 equal custody. Child support mm -hmm. orders should be a national standard, much like the standard that is that is uh, developed by the USDA for payments to uh, to foster families. Uh, so we should have a national standard. There's no reason why somebody who's extremely wealthy should be paying $5 million in support. That is actually, what that is, is it's it's um, it's alimony disguised as child support is what it amounts to. And it's a redistribution of wealth, which I know we as libertarians could agree that if you didn't earn it, if you didn't work for it, then it's not yours to take. And the father, most of us are middle class or, or lower middle class and, and in poverty. If we had equal access to our children, we would be providing half the child care. We would be providing half of the expenses. But they make it very difficult when they make arrangements like my own where it equated to nearly 44% of my active duty military pay, 
which is really what kind of built the snowball of my activism, was denying me access to my kids, treating me like a criminal, uh, violating due process rights on a systemic level, and we can definitely go into that as well, um, and continuing to challenge state authority and state overreach in my personal um, uh, and professional life. So that's that's a lot of material in, in yeah, a very no short <laughs> You know, I, I hate to say it because I'm I'm actually quite familiar with with a lot of these issues. Of everything you said there, there was one thing that pissed me off more than anything else, that Americans' primary expenses are rent and utilities. And I, I hate to go, well, there's a foundation. You know, I'm reminded of the Jefferson quote, you know, that uh, if we allow banks to control money, then the banks and corporations that grow up around them will deprive the people of all their property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. And you go, and and there is there is a I don't normally I would I would uh, try to degender this quote, but there's there yeah there's there is a there is a reason for that gender illusion in here, and you know where they've got they to get to this more foundational problem, bring it back to what you guys are doing that. You know, I like what I'm doing here, to me, it was a big deal to own my own land and be able to build my own home and own it outright. Most Americans are renters. You pay a mortgage, you don't own your home, the bank owns your home. You know, you, right. if, if you're a renter, obviously you're renting from someone who owns it, who's going to use your rent money to pay a lot in taxes. You know, and, right. and even if you own property, if you pay a lot in, in property taxes, at what point are you a renter and the government is the actual owner when they can kick you off because they don't like you there? And that we have allowed it to get to that point. This is the soil from which these other government rackets are able to grow. And family court seems like one manifestation of this where you go, wow, holy crap. Now they're, they're really able to take advantage of you and show you. And they're kind of rubbing the, what, in a way what they're doing. And, and it's, it, it is a generally gender biased issue. But, of course, we have seen, like, our friend uh, G.I. Mary Jane, Joey Lee, is, is, as, a, as a mother, gotten the experience that fathers typically get. And it's, right. it's really to producers, to those who want to be productive members of society, who right. want to be good parents. They're saying, well, if you're not perfect, screw you. And then with this, it would be, it's like they're grabbing you and rubbing your nose in it. Like, ah, oh, look, right. look what we can – look, and, and it, it's so – emotionally abusive in its impact whether whether you want to call it emotional abuse or not because it's bureaucrats making decisions it's systemic most of them are are not driven by emotion they're not trying to hurt you as an individual you know and there are a lot of bad judges who are a really ugly face of this where they do get personal and they do get vindictive but by and large the people who carry out this system as a whole they're not bad people any more than anybody else. They're just functionaries doing their evil jobs, just like a lot of other people who are thoughtless and unconscientious about it. And that's why what what excites me so much about this issue is that emotional suppression component of it. Not just that it's a tragedy, not just that it's as, as bad as it is, but that there's an element of embarrassment and shame Mm-hmm. And, and a really deep personal emotional pain for everybody involved. And I feel sorry, too, for women who are – because 
It's like the devil. I, you know, I mean, to, to, you want to you want to get biblical about it? Here's the devil. Here's here's the apple. It's the government right. going to women in America. Here, look what you could do to your ex-husband. Weaponize right. the state. And same thing to men. You could do this to your ex-wives. Look, you can weaponize the state. And it it, it turns you. It's you are not happy as a victimizer in in ninety nine. Point, you know, percent of these situations, you know, in a few rare cases, you have a spouse who's truly abusive, you get you, your justice done, and they work for you until your kids are 18, and it works as advertised. That's rarely the case. So so with that, I see this as a, as a black swan waiting to happen, like we're coming to a critical mass, to a tipping point. Cash, and, and Chris, from your experience, what what could we see that gets us to that? To America facing up to this and going, no, we're not putting up with this anymore. Well, I think in large part, it's it's just an educational level that, unfortunately, so many Americans go about their, their apathetic daily lives. And, and I'm just as guilty as any other human being out there of having seen and heard the pleas of different demographics out there about the injustices inside the judicial system. Now, normally those cries that you hear are coming from those within crim- the criminal justice aspect. And, and of course, uh, I mean, we can look at the, you know, 98% plus conviction rate with which, you know, we have across this country of getting people to cop to plea deals. There's something, there's a similar tactic utilized. So look, attorneys are attorneys. It doesn't matter where they're practicing. Okay. They're taught some of the similar skill sets that they use in criminal law that they'll use in family law. Within criminal law, they, they, they will threaten to a certain degree, what, a stiffer penalty if you don't agree to something lesser than, even if you're not guilty. And because most people lack the ability to afford a high-profile criminal justice attorney, they know, look, I, I'm looking at 10 to 20 here if I don't take this plea. If I take the plea, I'm out on three to five for good behavior. Okay, so even though they know that they're not guilty, they don't want to take the chance that instead of spending three to five years, they're going to spend 15 to 20 years. Now, how does that work in family law? They do the exact same thing. They conspire. Your attorney that you just you know, whipped out a $6,000 retainer like I did, they're going to conspire with the opposing party to put pressure on you to agree to something less than what you know is equitable and fair. The exact same thing here, except they use children against you. So instead of depriving you of your personal liberty and putting you in jail, they're going to design a personal jail outside of um, the physical structure of the county. They're going to design this jail, and instead, they're going to enslave you and entrap you into a mental and emotional, um, uh, you know, uh, and prison. A, and a, and a, physical, uh, a physical restriction of, and you can't see your kids. Yes. Or right. you might, the, the threat is you won't be able, if, if you don't play along, we're going to make it so you won't be able to see your kids ever again. Absolutely. And and we have to be willing to take this fight right back to their doorstep. In Lake County, Illinois, the 19th Judicial Circuit, I've been in that courtroom for over six years. I represented myself pro se uh, for a couple of years. I spent many hours in the law library there studying and working to fight better. And even w- with all of the efforts that men like myself and Chris put forward showing, look, we want more access we want to do the hard work. We want to change dirty diapers and, and, and bottle feed our kids and burp them and put them to bed and get up in the middle of the night. We want to do all of the hard work because that is part of the joy and the experience and the journey of being a parent. 
and fathers are being denied that opportunity on a systemic level. And and the things that are that are pouring out of that is, oh, let, let's talk for a second about mass shooters. Okay, I don't know the exact number, but I know that uh, in recent history of the last roughly 30 mass shooters who have been young white men predominantly. Let's let's examine our nation, okay? When we have 20 million children growing up absent their biological father, and they they are at a far greater risk of experiencing emotional, mental, and behavioral disorders. So think about it. We got 20 million kids growing up in a fatherless home or away from their biological father. They are far more likely to experience these disorders, and as a result, how does America respond? Well, let's medicate them. Let's put them on this concoction and this litany of pharmaceutical drugs that have all of these side effects. So is it any surprise then when pharmaceuticals are linked to these mass shootings, these pharmaceuticals are linked to being used because the child had emotional and behavioral disorders, okay, because they didn't understand what was happening in their young lives. And so they struggled tremendously on an emotional and mental level. So we medicated them. And now if we had went back to the beginning and said, let's make sure that all these fathers are doing an equal role, because we all know, we hear it from from, from, uh, the motherhood community quite frequently and rightfully so, that being a parent, being a single parent is extremely hard. Of course it is. Of course it's hard. All the more reason why you should want the other parent who helped to bring the child into the world to do half the dang work. But but that's that's not what our national norm is, because then... They wouldn't have this gigantic amount of state overreach with with child support enforcement, with the Department of Health and Human Services, with all of these these other things. Look, think about it. Think how much our government is growing as a result of this. If the kids um, are more likely to drop out of high school, which they are, they're more likely to live on welfare. If they're more likely to live on welfare and in poverty, they're more likely to do black market activities like possessing and selling of drugs. If they possess and sell drugs, they're more likely to be incarcerated. If they're more likely to be incarcerated, they're also more likely to get themselves involved with a gang seeking some sort of protection and identification within the prison system to protect themselves. And then and then, then they're caught up to the cycle of imprisonment and incarceration. And addressing the three domestic policy uh, positions that I talked about earlier, addressing the failed war on drugs that has resulted in uh, 50 to 70 percent of inner city youth growing up in a single parent home, dismantling um, uh, the welfare state in that it does incentivize single parenthood and pushes fathers out because if the father is there, the additional income is there. They're not eligible for these benefits. In this regard, they get the best of both worlds. And unfortunately, there are people who are psychologically damaged and will do everything that they can to hurt another person, and they'll use children to do that. And we have to recognize that this is child abuse. It's domestic violence by proxy. It should be criminal. They suffer criminal punishments. We shouldn't be locking up poor fathers because they can't afford the child support order that the state implemented, knowing that they couldn't afford it and knowing that they were going to cycle them in and out of their debtors' prisons. Hey, do we still have Chris Cole with us? No? Okay, he's just on to, to introduce Cash then. Yeah. All right, cool. So, well, I wanted to bring it back to the political to wrap things up and, and to talk about what you have planned for 2020 for, uh, for Joe Jorgensen and, of course, you know, for yourself, uh, are you going to be running for office again? Uh, in all likelihood, I'm going to. There's a lot of people trying to draw me back to Illinois to run for governor um, uh, again there. and uh, But then there's people here in Arkansas where I currently reside that want me to uh, to run here. 
And it makes it makes for an extremely difficult position um, uh, as a libertarian. Uh, we know what our likelihood looks like running as libertarians. And of course, you know, based upon your circumstances, in my own case, um, I've voiced that uh, it's likely that I'll, that I'll run as a Republican. And of course, uh, you know, I get the backlash from from hardline libertarians of, well, you're selling out your principles and running in one of these parties. Well, I would venture to say that it were any person in my shoes and in my circumstance who wasn't seeing their children and had more than 10 of their friends commit suicide, many directly linked to these family law courts, you would, you would get a better sense of my own urgency to get reform implemented right now. And the longer that that takes, the more, the more phone calls I'm going to get of friends of mine who have lost their lives. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, um, I, I did a live feed out of Tulsa here the other day. I was outside the Trump rally. I was in my uniform. I knew there was going to be a crowd there uh, of both. You know, Republicans and Democrats are going to pour out of this. Um, and so I took the opportunity. I went there with Chris Cole. We took uh, some sound equipment there and a mic, and I got up on a wall, and I just started talking about this issue. And before we knew it, we've got a big crowd of people around uh, listening to what I'm talking about. Uh, and, and out of that crowd came a young man um, and uh, said that he was a veteran. He had returned from Afghanistan. And um, within nine months of returning from from Afghanistan, within the last nine months, three of his friends, all of which going through their own family law case when they returned, killed themselves. Okay, Um, so so again, oh, there it is. Uh, So again, um, you know, 22 veterans a day are killing themselves and nobody is really getting to the heart of the matter. We're hearing about all these things about post-traumatic stress, offering all of these different services to veterans. Look, it's akin to telling, let's say if you had, let's just paint the worst picture. You've got a single woman who's living in a very abusive relationship. She's being physically, emotionally, and mentally abused. And the solutions that are being proposed is, well, ma'am, you just need to go to counseling to help you to work, work through it. But nobody decides we're going to, we're going to go, we're going to charge this abuser. We're going to get him out of, out of the home. Uh, but that is the reality that fathers like myself are living in, is that we're being abused. Our children are, are weaponized to hurt us. Uh, we're being financially devastated, and that limits our resources and our capacity with which to to um, to wage a more effective battle. You know that you got to have money in this battle. You know the importance of fundraising. And for me to run for office, it's very difficult running as a libertarian because of, again, the policies put in place to limit third parties, to limit independence. And we have to get those laws changed. And I believe that that's going to be done through a combination of activism from uh, men like yourself and myself and in in kind of stoking the base there that, look, we want like we want Joe Jorgensen in those debates. Do we not? Yes, we do. We have to stop asking because as long as we're asking for this, it's not going to be given to us. We have to demand that, look, we are not being represented by you or you. Neither one of you are representing our voice and our message and what we want to see for America. And we deserve to have our voices heard. And you've taken deliberate steps to ensure our voice cannot be heard. So we're going to take more deliberate steps to show you, no, our voice will be heard. We we will do what is necessary. We will stand in places and in positions that are going to make you very uncomfortable, and we're going to make you talk about it. You're going to allow us and our candidate to get into the debate. You're going to allow Joe Jorgensen to voice the opinions and positions of her platform and the Libertarian uh, Party, 
and that of so many independents out there that don't even know that she's speaking for them as well. That's beautiful. I appreciate that. Hey, Cash, any way you want people to be able to hook up with you to help out with Victims of Family Law for Jorgensen or anything else you got going on? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you can follow what I'm doing. I, I really just do everything from my personal page. Um, I'm Right now, I'm a volunteer for the Father's Rights Movement. They are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. I am their VP of Public Advocacy. Uh, at this immediate juncture, they're undergoing large structural reforms from, from being a movement to an organizational based, uh, organ, you know, organization where they have like formal, uh, structures in place. But it's still my responsibility as that VP of public advocacy to get this message out. So please follow us at the Father's Rights Movement. Uh, please go over to, uh, Victims of Family Law and, uh, and share those. Uh, Joe Jorgensen's page, please share that as well. And, um, look, I, I believe that the Libertarian Party is looking at it at, at a, at a, uh, unifying topic that they can get behind that will address multiple issues. It'll reduce the size of government. It'll re, it, it would reduce taxation and reducing the size of government, reduces state overreach, addresses high, uh, education, high school dropout rates, violent crime, drug abuse, all of these major things. And if, and if Joe Jorgensen and the Libertarian Party adopts this as a prominent issue and takes it to the forefront, you're going to see, I believe, Republicans and Democrats who have been really harmed by this are going to go, wait a second, that needs to be talked about. I still remember that pain and how that hurt me, and she's talking about that. I'm coming to the Libertarian Party because I can tell you right now from my campaign for governor, that is a large reason why a lot of people came to the Libertarian Party was because I brought this message forward uh, within my platform as a Libertarian. Nice. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cash. Really appreciate it and, and the work that you're doing. Keep it up. All right, so we're going to get to a few more headlines. And see, we have any other callers on the show? We do. We have someone queued up waiting. No. All right. The link's out there. If you want to join us in the last part of the show, we're, we're still taking callers. We need. We haven't gotten to five yet. We're just gonna have Draco call in four more times. Caller number two is negative. Are people trying to game this? Like to be caught? No, no. So you 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 want you still want to get in and get the count up to get to five, and then just call back again and be next. And anyway. All right. From the hill.com. House set for wow. I guess the the flies have figured out how to how to land in the wind, or maybe I'm like I'm blocking it with my laptop. Is that the problem? <laughs> Again, <laughs> so we got we we got the RV moved. We haven't gotten it cleaned. We have uh, we still have a fly issue in here that we will will address over the weekend. I promise. All right. So House set for historic vote on DC statehood from the Hill.com. The House is poised to pass legislation Friday that would make Washington, D.C. the 51st state the first time such a bill has ever been approved. The vote will be historic as legislation to make the district a state has not even been brought to the floor since 1993 when it was soundly defeated. Yet even if the legislation is approved on Friday, the passage will underscore the challenges the movement for D.C. statehood still faces. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has ruled out bringing the bill to the floor, and President Trump opposes it. If D.C. were a state, it would almost certainly add to Democratic-leaning, uh, Democratic uh, senators and one Democratic lawmaker in the House, given the city's Democratic-leaning citizens. Um, now, fun story, you know, I, just to say that people are reconsidering, redrawing the lines and, and political boundaries. 
I thought it was worth noting. Our next story from the Associated Press Census shows white decline, non-white majority among youngest. And I, I want, I just, I thought the language of this headline was a little Eurocentric, to, to use the politically correct term. And I'm not, I'm not anywhere near a social justice warrior or, you know, I'm not about political correctness or anything like that. I just like accurate language. But when I see a bias of perspective, you know, I, I, I want to call it out and, and, and examine it at least. I saw this on Drudge Report and I was like, I wonder if Drudge is making it about white people to tailor to a conservative audience or something like that. And I clicked on the article and I say, no, it's the Associated Press. Census shows white decline, non-white majority among youngest. And it made me think about how powerful the assumed dominant paradigm of whiteness really is and how destructive it is for everyone. That, that even this, this, this concept of whiteness as it, like, I'm half German, I'm half Jewish. Uh, you know, half of me hates the other half, and I can't tell which is which. But you know, when you say, well, no, Adam, you're white, you look white, you're effectively white, you're European Jew, you know, your you're, you're Jewish half isn't even, you know, but you would, German's not a majority. European descendant, you know, it, it's a construct of whiteness. Now, I'm not any kind of expert on this. I Oh, out of your just no, I'm not discovering this for the first time. I get it. I understand that there is a, you know, a construct of whiteness that helps us identify, you know, certain dynamics, but it's become so ingrained. You know, if Jesus was colorblind, you know, well, okay, then uh then I'm black. <laughs> you know, right? you know, no, obviously you can't just ignore race, sweep it under the rug. And I'm, I'm a fan of the Carlos Mencia kind of attitude towards racism of like, yeah, you can let's laugh at it. Let's be, acknowledge racial differences and, and celebrate them with, with humor and, and be able to make fun of each other and, and do it in a positive and loving way. And then I see a headline like this, white decline. And the first thing that occurred to me is why not black rising, you know, or minorities, not, census shows white decline, not census, not census shows non-white rise, right? Like, it, why? Has the construct of whiteness in America become so dominant over the years that it's been so essential to maintaining slavery and systems of racism and exploitation that, that now that when the demographics shift this way it's not just hey you're a hodgepodge of European ethnicities you're a hodgepodge of global ethnicities now now they say oh this is this is the story for the generation of Americans not yet old enough to drive the demographic future has arrived I wonder if they meant to rhyme there. For the first time, non-whites and Hispanics. Now, isn't this like, how we separate? This? I always wondered about this. Non-Hispanic white. 
So you can be Hispanic and white and still be non-white because you're Hispanic. And at some point you go, who cares? All these, all these categorizational descriptions of race are really just meant to create artificial divisions. I mean, if race wasn't bad enough as a construct in and of itself, and you go, Adam, race isn't a construct. It's a real, there's genetic grouping. Oh, okay, fine. I, I don't care to dispute that. Yeah, race is a real thing. Race is a concept. But when you go white, the white race, it's a lot like nationalism. This is why it's tied to ethnostatism. And in the United States, we have a different kind of nationalism that is formed largely around this construct of whiteness. But it's like when nationalism, you know, like like Doug Stanhope describes it as patriotism, as, you know, making you take pride in things you've never done and hate people you've never met. Like, you're going to love your country because you're going to love people who are born on your side of that government line, that border, more than people on the opposite side. Obviously, we see how this is destructive. At a deeper psychological level, there's a racism here that has the same dynamic where, well, if white is a race, like, is, I mean, Jim, as, as tan as you are, I, I, I know black people, and I'm not talking about what's-her-name, Dozenthal, whatever, from who pretend to be black, who wasn't. Jim, you you're, you identify as white, yeah. right? I mean, what's your what's your ethnic background breakdown of that? Because uh, uh, we have to well, let's understand your whiteness. Yeah, well, uh, my whiteness comes from my dad's side. I think there's Italian in there, <laughs> and I heard some Dutch or something. Okay, like that. my mom's got uh, a lot of Indian in her blood. Okay, so part native. Okay, so you so you're but you can you can break it down. I mean, you're you're majority what people would ca- call white, right? But even that is to deny the uniqueness of being Italian or Dutch or, in my case, Bavarian and and English and uh, I, I think there was part uh, Dutch in, in, in my background as well. You know, and and it and it's this negative grouping of ethnicities that creates this, like, ethnic pride, right? Like, it's one thing, like, pride in whiteness, pride in Western civilization. And you go, wait, why am I, why why am I proud of this? You know, well, I'm a part of, you know, and it's like, you had nothing to do with most of that. You know, you're part of that, you're related to that, why you're going to be proud of stuff you had nothing to do with? So this, this, even this, this grouping of racism beyond sort of, you know, the the atomized level, like breaking it down as as as, le- as low as you can. As soon as you're putting two ethnic groups together and saying they're part of a bigger ethnic group, then you're creating this sort of nationalist dividing line of well, you're you're in group or you're out group. And as I studied in in psychology in college. This in-group, out-group psychology is huge to creating conflicts. So I just, I, I, I want to reject this language and say, no, screw this. This is wrong. Like, we, we cannot keep talking about race this way. We have to be respectful of reality, of racial differences, of reality. And I don't mean the way that a lot of the whites... White supremacists will say, you know, we have to be 
Now, we have to be acknowledging that there are differences in some races. Are, but no, I'm not saying some are better than others at all. But why deny any racial group or ethnicity as a concept its uniqueness by grouping it in whiteness or blackness? Well, gee, if you want to divide people, if you want to make it easier to keep us divided and conquered, keep using this. I mean, I, I almost said I almost said bullshit. I can't even. I I said it. I can't. It's, it's a fly. To say bullshit, a fly attacks me. I can't even say there. I did. Did I say it three times? It's like Beetlejuice on YouTube now, right? Oh, but it doesn't matter. This video is probably going to get censored anyway for talking about racism because it's a sensitive topic. Heaven forbid. You know, we got to get smart about how we talk about this. And this is where, where I become the language Nazi. Not the grammar Nazi. And I don't know why. Why do I have to reference nationalist socialists to make my point? As a control freak, you know. But, you know, I will say, let's use accurate language to describe reality. Because when we let inaccurate language create these constructs, we make ourselves prone to manipulation an artificial conflict that wouldn't happen without them. And now the fly is back. All right. I'm going to have to start wearing bug spray for hairspray. That's good color. That's what we're... Oh, we have callers queued up. All right, let's do it. Let's go to our callers. Okay. Uh, the second caller of the day is inside of the agent. There he is. He's doing audio only. All right. Welcome inside. How are you doing? What's on your mind today? Oh, uh, well, you're sparking, you're sparking a lot of thoughts, um, certainly about racism. It just seems so lazy to me that they pick the most, uh, e the easiest characteristic to divide us along. You know, they're going to take something that we can visually inspect with our eyes and mm -hmm. associate people with these groups in vast numbers. I just feel like it's incredibly lazy. And um, it's such an easy tactic. I'm ashamed for the human race <laughs> that we've gotten that that we're so easy easily manipulated. I guess. Yeah. Now, yeah. well, well said. I mean, that's 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 another great level of the conversation. Do you have Do you have anything that you would connect it to with with your personal experience? Um. Well. I, I'm a, I'm kind of a unique. So I was uh, I grew up I was a military brat and uh, was in the military myself in the Air Force. So I definitely was exposed to a lot of diversity growing up. I was a minority for I mean I'm, I'm white, but uh, uh, I was a minority for most of the schools that I went through in my adolescence. And it just it there's a I guess probably the thing that I'm dealing with the most is when I'm engaging with people in social media. I see a huge generational gap. I think that there really is like a the, – the younger generations uh, – I, I was listening to a podcast the other day, or I think it was Crowder. He was talking to somebody about racism. He didn't know who George Foreman was, you know, you know, talking to a, a, a specific incident where he was uh, – how he was treated in the Olympics because he didn't do the Black Power Fist, whereas the other uh, black individuals there that were winning were. He chose to wave a flag. And apparently he got a ton of backlash for, you know, being a coon and all those kinds of things because he wasn't participating in the, you know, in the ideology. He was just glad to have won. But the kid didn't know who George Foreman was. And and I just thought that I just feel like there's there's this demographic right now that really doesn't even understand that, you know, when I was a kid, 
if one of my buddies dressed up like Mr. T, it would be an act of admiration, not an act of any kind of judgment. I mean, everybody was sort of enthusiastic to embody these figures. And isn't isn't imitation uh, like one of the deepest yeah. forms of the admiration? Most form of flattery. Yeah, and I and I just mm-hmm. feel like we've really we've really lost that, and the kids these days are really missing out. They're 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 ultimately being lied to about. I think the nature of this country, for all of its for all of its flaws, I mean, humanity itself is a is a mechanism unto itself, and it and it, I think that you know perhaps we're on a course that's mm-hmm. already architected in terms of the way that just machines work. You know, maybe these maybe these uh, power dynamics and struggles are on an actual like predictive course. Like they sort of tend to work out this way. It's almost like history repeats itself. And it seems like we are, for as bad as things are and have gotten, we sort of have these these moments in history where where humanity sort of wins. And I I don't know. I, we're 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 at kind of a, a confusing point right now where I think there's a disconnect between the older and younger generation about just. Because I feel like I fought really hard within my kids. So I've got four kids. I fought really hard within their spirits to eliminate these ideas of bigotry. And they have a very diverse group of friends. And my daughter doesn't even actually quite understand what the problem is. Like, she doesn't understand how to fit people into categories based on just their skin color. Obviously, it's easy to generalize. But it's almost like it's been it's been ideologically bred out of her through the work of me and my spouse and experiences that we've experienced. And a lot of that was bought at the expense of my ancestors making wrong choices and figuring things out and progressing. And I feel like we do a disservice, not just to our ancestors, but to the slaves that were brought over, all the people that suffered to say at this point in time, progress hasn't been made. It's really irritating. me. Yeah. Well, to your point earlier, the whole thing about skin color, you go, wait, they didn't, they didn't use eye color or hair curliness or, you know, any, you know, any other ethnic or the shape of your nose. You know, they, they, you know, they, it's, well, let's go with what's obvious. Anyway, thank you so much for the call. Let's take caller number three. Who do we have up next? Caller number three is a repeat caller trying to get that contest. Oh, all right. Draco is back. Duly checked in. Do we, Draco, do you have better signal now? Uh, yeah, I climbed up the hill. Um, yeah. I'm about 100 feet above where my roof is. So, <laughs> nice. so wait, you hear where, me over there? where your group? What's going on? All right, so um, I bought a piece of property. Uh, well, I'm actually, I just signed on it last week. But um, I, it's it's very steep around here. I'm out in the mountains of uh, West Virginia. I, or Western, South Virginia, Southwestern Virginia, if I can say that right. Um, and it's in the Blue Ridge Mountains, so I'm kind of in a valley, but uh, my property goes up um, probably 200 feet from where my house is to the back of the property, so I'm up in the back right now. Nice. Nice. Yeah, we have a similar issue here where I have 10 acres. It's it's split level, and on the bottom level, signal, yeah, it's like barely 3G. You go up here. Well, it's, you know, we live in a third world country known as the United Soviet States of America. And, you know, infrastructure is crumbling. We have riots and, and crime rampant in the streets. 
Uh, we have corrupt politicians. I mean, it, it, it's almost like a banana republic kind of failed state at this point, so that we don't have good telecom infrastructure compared to what we know we're capable of really should come as no surprise at this point. Well, I kind of moved out here to avoid the telecom infrastructure. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't answer phone calls. I, I, people text me, and I don't get back to them for three or four days. That's I'm just kind of a hermit anyway. So, um, <laughs> but that that kind of works. I, I started a long, uh, long time ago doing research on off-grid tech and stuff like that um, because I kind of was working on the Tenth Man philosophy, you know, from like, uh, what was it, World War Z? where if nine people agree on something, it's the duty of the tenth man to think they're all nuts and, and plan as if they're not, as if they're all wrong. Right. Um, so all, all of my friends and family thought I was crazy saying the government's about to go to shit and, uh, pardon my language, but uh, mm-hmm. everybody thought I was crazy, so I moved out to the mountains and started building a bug-out base for everybody. Um, that's why I call it the landlocked island of Bob, because I'm, I'm surrounded by mountains, and it's my bug-out base. Well, hey, I have I have a little trick that I use for this, and I, I wrote, Jim, Jim, did you actually get the app on your phone? Remember I showed you this last week, did you use it? The call forwarding app, or the call oh, forwarding yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. That thing's awesome. You, go ahead. Yeah, so if people want, a, do, you, do, you, do you have the link still? Can you put it in the chat? Because, Draco, there, if, if you are a, you know, you want to take control of your phone. Like, see, By the way, I love being, like, totally off-grid but still having 4G phone service and Internet. Like, that's that's it for me. That's that's cool. But um, I never used the yeah, app. That's correct. The iPhone does it other than that. Okay, so, but I, I wrote an article. Do you, you have the link or should I? Let's see. Do I have it in my bookmark still? I want to, hey, we'll share this with you, but. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll get it in the comments by the, no, you know what? I'll put it in the notes. We'll put it in the notes with the podcast. We'll send the link to CJ and it's, uh, how to take control of your phone for, for, for peace and quiet and, and to be able to turn the ringer off very, you know, and not just, you turn your ringer off, you still get notifications. You don't get the actual peace of mind of, turning it fully off. You can't look, and, and this is the thing, like, I want to be able to use my phone and not know that someone is trying to text or call me. And do not, like, airplane mode doesn't do that. Airplane cuts it off from all data. And if you turn on call forwarding, often that doesn't do it either. And I noticed this because I started, I was doing interviews on my phone, and I would say, okay, I got call forwarding, oh, it's cool, I can do an interview. But then I would use Zoom or, or WhatsApp, and it would come through as an alert to let me, hey, you're getting a call, we're, but we're not ringing you because your ringer's off. Well, I'm, you know, what's the point? You're st- and, and it would actually interrupt the connection. Anyway, Draco, thanks for getting back to us. Hopefully next time you can join us in the video, maybe show us a little bit of your place. Let's go. Let's, let's, uh, let's see if Draco wants to come back as caller number five, perhaps, if we get a fourth caller. I got to go over a couple stories that I'm not going to get to today. Well, one we're going to get to in the after show. First, from Breitbart, Loyola University New Orleans student demand professor is fired for opposing slavery for the wrong reasons. This is my good friend Walter Block, and what they're saying. This is so. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. We're gonna get him on the show next week. We're gonna have him on as a guest. And the petition got over 600 signatures. I mean, this is not just like 
you know, flash in the pan stuff. But people are objecting to his libertarianism uh, and, and using slavery as a really dumb wage issue or a wedge issue. He's saying, so here's the actual quote from the petition. Walter Block is a professor in the business school at Loyola University, New Orleans. He has publicly stated that he believes slavery to be wrong because it goes against libertarianism, not because it is morally wrong. Now, first of all, why don't you have a quote for this? And second of all, your statement is contradictory because libertarianism is a moral philosophy. If it's wrong because it's against libertarian uh, libertarian principles, that's because it is morally wrong. Those, those are the same things. So maybe, maybe, hopefully, uh, my friend Walter is turning this into a teachable moment. Now, uh, you might have been hearing some of the headlines. Washington County Sheriff says Americans have right to dissent in face of government orders. Don't be a sheep. We have the video for, for this from Fox News because it's from Fox News. We're going to play it in the Patreon-only live after show, and we're going to watch and take bong rips. That's, that's the plan, just so you know. Um, the, another story I got to tease ahead, we're, we're going to have to get to this Monday, because uh, CJ brought this up in the Producers Club. Over $1 billion in Bitcoin options about to expire. Crypto speculators expect massive shakeup. Uh, I can explain this, but it's going to take some more time, CJ. So. Maybe we'll get into it then. Um, let's see. And then, uh, oh, there are a couple stories about the drone war. Uh, we're gonna have we're gonna have to go with an update on the Black House zone in front of the White House. I assume that's been removed by now, but that was another fun story. So we're gonna get to all those in uh, you know next week, probably on Monday, and in the afternoon today we're gonna get to watch that video from from Fox News. Um, I guess I guess before we go to callers to wrap up the show, CJ, can you? Well, let's see. Do we have any more guesses for the clip? That was we, only just the one. one. Well, then we have our one winner. And, and from what I heard, Jim whispering the answer too loud before, slightly preemptively, we did have a correct and guess. The first name is on. I knew. I knew. We knew it. Where, so what? What was the guess? And who's it from, Jim? Uh, it was from Jake. 2033-17, and he is on Periscope watching. All right. Mark Allen Feldman, 2016, Orlando debate. Yep. Final answer. That was it. That was it. So, CJ, if you would pull that. Whole, wait, real, real quick, Jake, uh, since you're the winner, please email me at jim at the freeandline.com, yep. and I'll get you set up with your win. Awesome, awesome. And, like, should we, should we hold the clip for the after show? And I'll tell that story in the after show that way and we don't get pinged. I mean, this is like from C-SPAN. I don't think we can get pinged for this one. How long is it? It's only two minutes and ten seconds, the whole video. Let's hold it. Let's do the video. Let's do the video in the after show. So we'll wrap things up, yeah. Um, the other stories I wanted to cover, of course, Trump on the drone wars, escalating the drone war. No one seems to care. Um and then, you know, what he changed in policy definitely deserves to be gone into more. Well, let's go to the goodnewsnetwork.org for good news in history, June 26, 75 years ago today, the inspirational United Nations Charter was signed by 50 countries in San Francisco 
a document that began with the following. We, the people of the United Nations, determined to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war, which twice in our lifetime has brought untold sorrow to mankind, and to reaffirm faith in fundamental human rights, in the dignity and worth of the human person, in the equal rights of men and women and of nations large and small. So this is really exciting for me because we are about to get going on the United Nations of Freedom Project so that we can uh, have a micronations project of the United Nations of Freedom to, to create this ability for people to declare their independence. And it's in line with at least the righteous rhetoric that was used for the United Nations. And, I, you know, as a forum, I think overall, yes, the United Nations has been you know, a, a positive, a net positive for the world, but it had some problems. It didn't say, you know, you can't be a member unless you're, uh, unless you're, you really sign on to something meaningful in terms of joining. And I, and that's one of the things I think that we can improve upon with, uh, with the United Nations of Freedom. So more good news from this day. Now, uh, I don't know if this was a this is necessarily good news by libertarian standards, which is part of what makes it interesting. The first federal law governing purity and food or drugs was enacted in the U.S., initiated because of the Mexican-American War and the desire to ban the importation of adulterated drugs. Madagascar gained its and that was 1848. On this day in 1960, Madagascar gained independence from France. Definitely good news there. Localization, decentralization, overthrowing imperialism. On this day in 1997, the first installment of the Harry Potter book series, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, was first published in the UK. On this day in 2000, the first rough draft of the map of the human genome was unveiled, an international effort proposed and funded by the U.S. government, paving the way for the DNA of any two individuals. Sorry, it proved the DNA of any two individuals is 99.9% identical among humans. Human individuals, that's, that's I'm pretty sure what they meant there. Yeah. You would think when we realize that, wars would stop, right? No, we're, we're killing people who have 99.9% the same DNA as us. Still, despite this knowledge from now 20 years ago, that was this day in the year 2000. This day in 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the Federal Defense of Marriage Act, declaring that same-sex couples deserve equal rights to the benefits under federal law that go to all other couples who are legally married in any state. Now, a lot of bad news wrapped up in that. Legally, overall, clearly a measure of the step forward, step, steps forward we have made to tolerance and inclusion of people without discrimination based on sexuality. On this day in 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four that the Constitution protects the rights of same-sex couples to marry no matter where in the U.S. they reside. And on this day in 1959, the 370-mile-long St. Lawrence Seaway was officially opened, marking the completion of one of the greatest engineering feats of the 20th century. After 50 years of talks between the U.S. and Canada, the system of locks and channels took five years to construct, spanning the difference of 224 feet in sea level rise 
to help ocean-going ships move cargo between the Atlantic Ocean and the Great Lakes, the heart of American manufacturing. All right, do we have any more callers queued up? No more callers queued up. Everybody's shy, I guess. Well, we have 20 seconds left in the show today. I think we're I think we're just gonna have to give it to Draco for calling in twice. Oh, he already is. All right, then we'll give it to our other caller. Who is our other caller? Inside. Congratulations to Inside and to our winner of the clip contest. Who was that? That was Jake, 2000 in Periscope. All right, thank you, Jake from Periscope. So we are now gonna go to our patron-only after show. Featuring this exciting device that is used for smoking tobacco exclusively, as as any good uh, head shop owner would tell you. If you want to join us, uh, is, it, is it too? Uh, sorry, we're just going to cut you off for today. Next Friday, got to be ready though. You can sign up for anybody who is a patron. You can watch our patron-only broadcasts as we're about to go live to Patreon only for five dollars a month. You can be one of our good patrons and get access to behind-the-scenes exclusive content. We have a $10 membership level for our better patrons because they're better people because if you give us money, you're a better person, obviously. $10 a month, that gets you access to the Producers Club, and $50 a month gets you co-producer status. We have two co-producers to the show as of right now looking to bring in more, and uh, that's not counting our official guest booker, Marcus Pulis who took care of getting Chris and Cash on the show with us today and is going to get his Walter Block uh, set up for next week. So with that being said, CJ, are you ready to do this? He just, I don't know. We need a way for CJ to just do like a thumbs up, thumbs down, or like you he put your own it. comment. I yeah, put your own. Him. Are we ready to do this? I can see him right now if he thumbs up or thumbs down without me, without him coming up on stage. Oh, right, because you get to see his behind the scenes. So did he say thumbs up? He's ready to do this? Yes, thumbs up. All right, so with that being said, go to thefreedomline.com. Join us, as always, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. to 11 Pacific time. And with that, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other. We'll see you in the private Patreon broadcast.